Good morning and welcome to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. You're listening to Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. KFU brings you faith-enriching programs over the air, streaming online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. That's right. Just search for Thy Strong Word. But however you tune in, thank you for your support. And speaking of support, Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the saints of God over at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Find out more about the great work they do by heading over to lhfmissions.org. If you have any questions about today's program, I invite you to reach out to me via email at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Well, let's get started because today is Monday, August 15th, and we are going to feast this morning upon Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. Now, in these passages, so far, Paul's been making the claim that God shows no partiality, even between Jew and Gentile. So we're going to explore more of how Paul dissects that for us. But our guest this morning to help us explore God's word is the Reverend Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Pastor Dieterding, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here, and it's great to meet you too, Pastor Phil. Uh, it's uh, it's been a joy to be able to uh, work with Pastor Brady all these uh, all these months, and, and even maybe even years now. I don't know. I can't remember how when he started with me, but uh, it's nice to nice to be on here with you. And I'm excited about uh, the new uh, the new venture with you now going forward. Well, gosh, thank you very much. That's really encouraging. You know, I'm happy to follow in. Uh, Brady Finnern's footsteps, and I know that he's going to be continuing in another way on KFUO, which is going to be exciting for us to see how that goes forward. Uh, not quite ready to announce that yet, but uh, it is out there in the ether, so people can get excited about that. Now, I know that you are a frequent guest on this program, um, so you are, have probably been on more than I have, uh, even <laughs> now as a host, but I will ask you, uh, for my sake, tell us, tell me a little bit about yourself, and for those who may have not heard you before, uh, tell me what it's like. You're down there in Fort Myers, Florida, which I had recently visited just this spring. Uh, oh. My wife grew up going to Sanibel Island. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So after 20 years or so of marriage, well, actually, we've been married for 19 years. Uh, she said, I really want to go back. We've always gone to your childhood haunts. I want to go to Sanibel Island. So, yeah, we went down and we we rented a condo, the same condo she used to go to as a kid. Oh, the nice. condo hasn't changed since the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the island was packed and, and Fort Myers was busy, but it was a beautiful time. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, you know, you and your church and, and what it's like to live down on the beautiful coast of Florida. Well, we are the closest uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran Church to Sanibel Island, to Fort Myers Beach. Both of those are not too far from where we are located. We're located on the south side of Fort Myers and um, yeah, it's been it's been great. I've been here really as of what is today the oh, okay yeah I've been here now for eight years and uh, so um, I've just, I just I was originally up in uh, Trinity Lutheran Church Fergus Falls before I came down here, which is not 
too far from Laverne. It's over at least on the west side of the state up there. And uh, just absolutely enjoyed the ministry up there. The people are wonderful. Strong mission up to the uh, First Nation Indians there in uh, Canada. They go up there every year, still do, uh, with the Vacation Bible School. We've actually uh, had a Vacation Bible School kind of combined with them virtually for a little bit um, uh, from down here. So uh, the ministry has just been absolutely wonderful here. The mission-mindedness of the people and of this circuit, we're reaching out to all the, the people that are immigrating to this part of the country. It's just been an absolute joy to see uh, all the different opportunities the Lord has given us to uh, reach out. We reach out uh, in many different ways uh, to the different target groups that we have down here with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it does seem for lots of different reasons, political and otherwise, that, you know, some of the population of the U.S. does seem to be shifting around. And one of those places that seem to be benefiting is Florida. So you mentioned that, you know, you have a lot of people kind of immigrating in. I assume that's immigrating from other parts of the U.S., maybe even immigrating from other countries. But, yeah. So have you seen the population there grow in the last few years? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's absolutely exploding for a couple of reasons. One of them is that once you continue to build the, the way that they're building down here and uh, all the people that are retiring, you know, the big baby boomer uh, group is now retiring in, in large numbers. And so we're one of the areas in the United States that uh, people are flocking to. Uh, I mean, we, we don't we can't even keep houses on the market anymore because. Um, you know, people are, are waiting in line to, uh, to to hopefully get a place down here. And the thing is, is that because the population and the buildings and, and uh, the housing is growing at such a tremendous rate, you need people to help take care of all those lawns and all the, you know, the irrigation and, the, and all the things that it takes to to. Uh, uh, to have a community. So a lot of those uh, jobs are filled by people who are coming in here from other countries uh, to in other places that are actually doing a lot of these um, labor intensive kind of jobs. And uh, so, yeah, that and that's growing as well. Those those communities as well are growing where uh, you'll find a lot of these uh, uh, folks that that I think really do the hard work here right, in Southwest Florida. Um, well, I got to tell you, if I was in the healthcare industry, I would move to somewhere yeah. like Fort Myers because when Absolutely. we were down there, all I saw was health center after health center after mm-hmm. health center and every type of speciality. Well, you know, it's just amazing if you're living in an area like Laverne, where I am, it's a sleepy, small Midwestern town right on the border of South Dakota wonderful people, people of the earth, hardworking folks. And you go down to Florida and you see lots of other different types of people, retirees and folks, like you said, hard workers and professionals. And you go up towards Fergus Falls. I was actually, my very first call was in Purim, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was right up there. And then I spent seven years in Connecticut. So everywhere I've been uh, in the country, you'd have these unique types of people But, of course, we share in common uh, our nationality as Americans, but we also share in common this need, this need to know Jesus Christ. And when you're in the Lutheran faith and you're in a Lutheran congregation, you're right. You're surrounded by people who are so mission-minded, and it's just wonderful to see that you guys are getting uh, increasing opportunities to share that gospel with others. 
So what's interesting, though, and I think it's kind of a segue a little bit, is our text for today is talking about uh, he's talking about does the Jew have an advantage? More specifically, he's been very clear that God shows no partiality. And whether you have been given the law or whether you've never heard the law before, salvation is not through keeping the law perfectly, but through faith. But it raises the question, is there some advantage to being a Jew? And that's what we're going to get into today with your help. So let's uh, let's start that, if it's okay with you. Um, I'd like to begin, though, by giving you the opportunity to kind of lead us in. Maybe do a little better job than I did of, of kind of setting the groundwork for what Paul is going to start talking about. What's interesting about Paul's uh, the way he d- divides up his argument is it's really tough to fit into chapters and verses. And so this very first verse begins, you know, with this question that obviously builds on what he's already been talking about. So catch us up, Pastor. Deacon. Sure, sure. And, and and before I jump into that, let's uh, let's have a little bit of a prayer and ask God to bless us in our time together. Gracious and most holy God, we, we give you thanks for the word that you have given us that continues to guide us and to lead us and to help us to grow and be nurtured in the grace that you have given us in our in our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we approach your word this day, and as, of course, you approach our hearts with that word, we pray that you would help lead us to understand and to know uh, where we all stand when it comes to our relationship with you, and especially when it comes to our relationship with your mercy and your grace. Bless us and touch us with all that you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, good question. I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, the people of God have always knew and known and understood that they are the chosen people. And so, just by virtue of the fact that they have this this, uh, qualification of being the chosen ones, they're already, and they've been following what God has commanded them to do. They know the true God. They know other nations around them do not. And so, uh, you know, now, the, now, these, now they've become Christians. So now they're in Christ. There's a lot of confusion, too, of, about the relationship. Now what does this look like? Now, now where do we stand? And that's all these questions I'm sure were coming to Paul. As you can see, he's addressing these in this portion of the letter and here in chapter three. Yes, absolutely. Let's, let's dig into chapter three and I'm just going to read the first eight verses. That gives us plenty to work with. Here we go. I'll be reading from the English standard version of the Holy Bible. Then what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Well, does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us, I speak in a human way, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, 
their condemnation is just. All right, we'll start. We'll stop there. Paul is wrestling with this this fictional opponent, but he's using it in a very didactic way to teach us something. Um, let's dig in. Okay. So um, you know, when we look at this, uh, you know, he's he's confronting right away this question of the circumcision, this practice that they had, that they uh, they know that they are keepers of the law. I mean, that's that's been their relationship up until the time of Jesus. And of course, now Paul is trying to help them to understand there's a new relationship. And so he needs to stress what Jesus was stressing in his ministry, and that is that we're all sinners and we fall short of the, of the glory of God. Uh, not to be jumping the gun on this chapter, but just saying that Paul already has that in mind as he's, he's, he's laying out, here's the issue, here's the problem, here's the Here's the malady that, that needs to be resolved. And so he's just laying out to say, you know, that um, here it says in every way, you know, the Jews are entrusted with the oracles of God. I mean, that's their special relationship with him. Those are the, the specific revelations, the promises that God had given. And uh, then I like how he lays those two questions side by side. One about us and then one about God, right? He says, what if some were unfaithful? Uh, does the faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? I love that that uh, verse there. It's like because we are unfaithful, does that mean that God isn't faithful any longer? Um, and and of course, you know, he's going to stress more about how faithful are we really <laughs> as right. as we move forward. Of course, um, and it's all about justification. How are we justified? before God. You know, what what justifies it? Circumcision, uh, that we have the oracles of God, that um, we do the right things and follow his law, uh, that we think we're faithful. You know, what are the, what is it that qualifies us to make sure that we truly know that we are uh, the true people of God? I think that's, that's really what's at, uh, at stake here in these questions. And you know what's interesting, at least to me, is I think that this question continues even in today's context, right? We have mm-hmm. all of these different faith expressions. We have all of these different denominations and church bodies. And the question is, you know, who is the chosen one? Who's right? When we get to heaven, who's who is, you know, God going to look at and say, yep, you guys got that right. And you guys were a little wrong. And so, so a lot of people in modern context ask these same questions. The Jews of that day, as you so aptly pointed out, you know, they're like, hey, listen, we have the circumcision. We have mm-hmm. the being chosen by God. We were born into this special status. And if you're saying, as Paul has already said, that, you know, things like circumcision is a matter of the heart, not just by, you know, keeping the law as if you are, you know, perfected by doing something. Then they're like, well, then what's the point of being a Jew? What's the advantage of this? And I hear this today, even from people. It's almost like the worker in the vineyard or the field who comes at the 11th hour and receives the same reward. You know, what advantage is there to being a Christian? What advantage is there to being a Lutheran? And I think those Mm -hmm. questions are still in the hearts of people. But Paul, as you pointed out, he does say, um, yeah, what's the value of circumcision? What's the advantage of being a Jew? which we shouldn't look at as synonymous, but he says a lot. There's a lot, much in very every way, much in every way. First, to begin with, 
the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. But pastor, that's the only thing he ever really says. It kind of sounds like he's going to have this big, long list. But then he just says, the Jews are entrusted with the oracles of God. Mm-hmm. What were they supposed to do with those oracles? Why does he count that in the column of being their advantage? Well, I believe that, you know, they knew the sacredness of the very word of God that was written and that they were entrusted to um, cherish those, you know, to revere those, all of all of what God's instruction is. But what we know on this side of the cross and on this side of what Paul wrote here is that uh, we know that there's more to those oracles than what a lot of the folks were actually seeing and, and understanding. They were not fully uh, they were not fully aware originally of of how that would all unfold as far as when Messiah would come. And now, now that they know that Christ has been there, um, hopefully they uh, would be more enlightened as to, you know, you know, what is our relationship? It used to be one of keeping the law uh, now and you know, to, to show that one is righteous. And of course, we're moving into that next section here, too, that talks about that justification and righteousness, all of these things um, through the through these oracle of God. You know, you and I still have, um, we still have an, uh, uh, the, uh, we're still entrusted to also keep uh, faithful the Word of God, the oracles of God, the, the Old Testament, and the, now the New Testament, and to remain um, faithful to those just as they did. And of course, that faithfulness extends now into the wonderful grace and mercy that's revealed uh, in the New Testament. No, you're absolutely right. You know, they were given, entrusted, as Paul says, with the oracles of God, the revelations of God, God's word, God's proclamation of the coming Messiah. And then I guess the accusation on some people's part was, yeah, but they didn't keep those oracles or they didn't keep them pure. Or as he says, they were unfaithful to them. And his argument is, well, just because they may have been faithless doesn't mean that God is faithless. And this also really connects to, I think, the church today. You know, there are churches, all churches are filled with sinners. We know that, right? We're accused of being hypocrites. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to go to church because there are hypocrites there. And the joke (laughs) is, well, there's always room for one more. But of course, you don't want to be or celebrate being hypocrites. We want to be faithful, which often acknowledges that we are sinful, just like people in the world. But rather, we come for the cure to our sins as opposed to just celebrating them. But my point is people will look at churches or they'll remember the church they grew up in and they'll remember some negativity they experienced. They'll remember some person that hurt them. And then they'll say, well, I don't want to have anything to do with the church or God or his word because these human beings were unfaithful. I think Paul's speaking to even us today. What if some were unfaithful? Have you experienced that in your ministry, Pastor? Yeah, you know, you you have to de- deal with that self righteous uh, that self righteousness that occurs, like the the better than the better than thou attitudes that you see in some folks. Or, uh, you know, I've I've had people that have also said, uh, you know, look at all I've what well, I've done, Pastor, and I never get a thanks. You know, not even a pat on the back. You know, and so it's like. Well, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons because uh, that's what not that's not what God <laughs> is saying to us in His Word, and that and I'm getting back to that again. That it's the faithfulness to that to those oracles to the 
to all of the Word of God that uh, God wants us to be in relationship with, not not in keeping of the law or thinking that we're better than somebody else or that uh, something puts us closer to God uh, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm basically a good person. I've never killed anybody, all, all these things. You know, whenever I hear people say that, um, you know, well, I was really, you know, I had this problem with the church and, and uh, all those hypocrites and I'm never going back. You know, our nature looks for ways to be away from God, to, to push away from God. And it's that, that never surprises me because that's who we are by nature. Um, you know, I don't want to commit my time. I don't want to commit my effort. I don't want to commit myself uh, to something that uh, I feel has, has really hurt me and, and uh, not allowed me to live in the freedom that I want to live, which sometimes that freedom is, is our sinful freedom. I can't say sometimes it is, and so uh, yeah, we got to we got to constantly continue to work together as unfaithful and as sinful as we are, even to one another, to because we have those tools that God gives us that we're going to be talking about here shortly right. uh, that can restore and bring us back together uh, to continue uh, to worship Him and to serve as God's people. Well, He begins, I think, to hint at this idea that. God is going to have an answer to unrighteousness. You know, in verse five, he says, you know, what about our unrighteousness, you know, serving to show the righteousness of God? That is, you know, he is going to redeem us from our unrighteousness. Paul knows what he's getting ready to say. And so he starts to lay the road here for this verse eight, right? Why not do evil that good may come? And he right. says this a couple different times, but basically if, why don't we just continue? It's, 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 what do we call cheap grace, right? Why not just mm -hmm. continue to sin so that grace may abound? And I think that is an argument that our adversaries make against us too. You know, you think you're better than other folks, but you just sin all week and then go to church and ask for forgiveness. And that's hypocritical. And if that were the mindset of the Christian, it would be hypocritical. But at the same time, in a better light or a better understanding, if one struggles with sin, as we all do, this side of God's return, then we do have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ. We do get forgiveness. But people think that's just too easy sometimes. Mm -hmm. Well, there's, well that, the, there's the fear that we're that, oh, so if we embrace the fact that God has grace and mercy, then then my sins don't count against me, then what difference does it make how I live? And I, I, I know that's always the big fear of those who have a hard time embracing that this is absolutely free. There's a real confusion on what justifies and, and what it is that creates a desire to live a sanctified life, to live for God and for Christ. Uh, you know, sometimes... Uh, I think people put a disconnect there, like, well, this is the area of justification, this is the area of sanctification, and never should the two ever meet. And it's and it's not true. It's it's all it's all part of each other, you know. But the we know that it all comes and all, all that we do, all that our desires are now in the new spirit and the new creation we are comes from that faith that uh, has been given to us as a free gift, also from God. Everything comes from God. Uh, for our good, including the faith that we have, and so um, yeah, you can already you can already get the sense that he's going to be talking about 
two kinds of righteousnesses here too, um, where he's talking about already an unrighteous, which was which is us, and no matter what we do, we could never make ourselves righteous. And then he's already starting to hint to there's this other righteousness, this righteousness of God, and we're moving that direction too as Paul uh, continues uh, to go down this path. Absolutely. You know, I one thing I encountered when I was in seminary back in the day is uh, one of the professors, I believe it would have been Professor Bierman, Joel Bierman, mm-hmm. but he talked about the idea that our we talk about salvation being 100% the work of God. Our justification, as you said, being mm-hmm. declared righteous mm-hmm. is 100% God's work. And then when we get to sanctification, or that is living the Christian life or doing good works in response to the faith that God gives us, it doesn't suddenly become our works. It no. doesn't suddenly <laughs> become our effort. It's not as though the rules change. Mm-hmm. He says that too is 100% God's That's right. That's right. And thank God it is because without him, our works would, of course, be nothing but filthy rags. He sanctifies and forgives even our good works. Well, we are at the time for a very short break, but when we come back, folks, we're going to continue in Romans chapter 3 with verse 9. But you've been listening so far to the Reverend Curtis Dieterding from Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. We will see you on the other side of the break. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church, free of charge, to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. Welcome back this Monday, August 15th. If you are just tuning in, we are digging in to Romans chapter 3 with Pastor Curtis Dieterding, and we are just now hitting verse 9. Paul has been making this amazing and probably at the time extremely controversial statements about how Jews and Greeks are seen by God without partiality. And then in chapter three, he starts to dig into the question, well, then what's the point of ever being a Jew? What's the point of keeping the law? What's the point of circumcision? And now he's getting into this same question, but he's couching it in the terms of righteousness. Are Jews more righteous than Gentiles? Are Gentiles somehow more righteous than Jews now that Paul is going to be reaching out to them as sort of his his special focus? Well, we're going to look into that on chapter chapter three, verse nine. We're going to read the rest of our verses for today and then let Pastor Dieter Ding lead us through it. Here we go. What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. 
Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear before their eyes. Now, whatever, pardon me, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Gee whiz, St. Paul, right? Tell us what you really think. (laughs) But of course, he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us this great message. And while this is definitely heavy, heavy law, and he's going to expand on that, in verses that unfortunately we won't cover today. Mm-hmm. Pastor Dieter Ding, what then? Are Jews any better off? Take us into that. Well, yes. No, no. So, uh, so when Paul, you know, I've had the advent, I've had the opportunity, I should say, to go and visit some of the places where Paul established churches uh, over in, uh, in the uh, Mediterranean area. And I, I was amazed always about how when Paul entered a city, you know, what what did the people, mostly international cities too, I mean, these they would have people, you know, that would come from the sea and uh, like Corinth and Athens and Ephesus and places like that. You'd you'd see uh, these these ruins, and I, I always thought to myself, you know, Paul's coming into an area where how many people really have first of all a relationship with God that are among the, I'm talking about the Gentiles now. And how many really know anything outside the fact that these Jews believe in this God who created all things and, you know, the world? I don't even know how much they really knew. And I always, I was amazed how powerful that word that he spoke that's from the Holy Spirit would change the lives of people in the, in these hearings of just hearing him. And his first, his first place to go in all these cities, and this is a, a, a piece that I learned uh, even more so over there is that he would always go into the synagogue. It makes sense. I mean, you know, he's a, he's a Jew. He, uh, where do you worship? You worship in the synagogue. That's where he would go. And he would talk to Jews there. He would also talk to the Gentiles. Um, and, and so because of, of Christ and that, and that was always interesting. And there was always tension, you know, when he would talk to Gentiles and Jews and he's talking about everybody being, all equal and you know this is new this is hard this is very hard for the people of god for the jews to understand that things have changed and so you know paul is you know kind of weaning them into this as he's writing here and so what a powerful two-word question he starts here on on verse nine what then you know and he goes right at it are we jews any better off and he immediately answers it, not at all. And here's why. And he says, we're all under sin. This is this is what it's about. The scripture, the oracles that we're talking about, this is what they've given us. This is what God's word has said all this time. And it says no one. It doesn't say just the Israelites are not righteous. No, not one. It says no one, none. And of course, they they I could see why they would have a difficult time understanding that includes everyone that God has created. And so, yeah, that's kind of the starting point here. 
Well, if you think that your righteousness is based on your genetics or you're having been given the law, regardless of how well or not you've kept it, or just by having undergone circumcision, you know, he does make the point that, yeah, you actually did have an advantage, which sort of makes it worse. You had the advantage because you were chosen by God. You were entrusted with the oracles. You were not faithful as a whole. Of course, God remains faithful. So then are you any better off? And then, yeah, you're right. He is right to the point. No, nope, not at all. But he then couches that term, just as you said, everybody is under sin. And I love, I love how he, to illustrate this point, doesn't give us new revelation. And he could have, because as we know, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he digs into the Psalms. Here are the oracles that you already had, and now I'm going to show you from your own scripture that it's always been this way. None is righteous, no, not one. Today, though, how can we apply this to our churches today? So, for instance, um, what then? Are we LCMS Lutherans any better off? How might you address a parishioner who's very confused now because they were just for sure that they were getting to heaven because – they are Lutheran and their grandpa was Lutheran and their grandpa's grandpa was Lutheran, etc. Now, as someone who did not grow up in the Lutheran faith, that's myself, and I chose to become a Lutheran as an adult, uh, I invite you to tread carefully. No, but tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, that warning. <laughs> no, I, I grew up. I was baptized as a Baptist. I went to Haiti as a teenager, I think, as a Methodist and been in a variety of different churches all in between. Um, And so I've seen Hmm. and I can identify and appreciate the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have in all these different church bodies. But of course, I also celebrate that we, our confession is, you know, the the Mm -hmm. true confession that, you know, is, is something that we, we, we embrace and, and confess and, and use it to measure our teaching. But at the same time, we're not saved by perfect doctrine, are we? Right. You know, Jesus ran into this. He ran into the same thing. You know, you know, my, my grandpa, my great grandpa, you know, well, it's the faith of somebody else is not going to uh, impact you as far as your relationship with God. Your faith is impacted by God's word, you know, coming into your heart and into your mind and, and, and knowing that indeed, you know, this is my Lord, this is my Savior. Uh, you know, everybody is responsible for themselves when it comes to their relationship with God. You cannot depend on somebody else's faith, um, you know, to get you uh, into into the the presence of God eternally. I mean, even Jesus, you know, at one point, you know, he was he he had made the comment, "Bear fruit," and this from this is from Matthew three, "Bear fruit in keeping with repentance." And do not presume to say yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God's able to raise up stones to raise up children for Abraham. Jesus is already putting it out there that, you know, don't don't reach back to your heritage as though that's going to save you or that that's going to make it, you know, that's going to make you right before God. Um, And he's already talking about repentance. He's already talking about being able to acknowledge sin in our lives and that, we need God's mercy. We need his forgiveness. And, of course, they'll, they'll eventually learn, too, that uh, that comes through uh, the redemptive work that Christ does on the cross and, and through uh, the power of the resurrection, all of that. 
for our sake. And so, yeah, it's they're, they're trying to move over to understanding what Christ was truly all about and what that truly means for all of us, both you know Jews and Greeks. So, yeah, this is a, this is a great way that that uh, that he starts this next like section. None is righteous. No, not one. I mean, what if there is someone mm-hmm. who is just a really good person, you know, and they may not know about Jesus, mm-hmm. but, you know, they're just, they're altruistic, they're they always, they're philanthropic, they, they give, they help, they're just a great person who has contributed greatly to society. Is, is God really going to look at them and say they're not righteous just because they don't believe in God? Yeah, I was just going to ask you the question. So what are they missing, right? right? What are they missing? And why are they doing what they're doing? Most people that uh, that I that I've watched and and, and uh, just talked about this with in the, you know, as we uh, in the past, I was thinking to myself that, you know, in, in adult instruction class, I'll say, yeah, what about the good person? What about the person that they do good all the time? Does God see that as good works? And the answer is, well, yeah, it is good works. Anything that's good in those works is is from God. But the person is not understanding that this work that he's able to do or she's able to do is the result of the creator that gave them the gifts and the abilities to do it. And the thing is, is that um, spiritually speaking, in relationship to God, God does not say, see these as saving works because uh, works cannot save. And so... Um, what we, what I, what I try to help them understand is, is that um, generally when people are doing good works and they do not have God in their life, that motive is that's in their heart is that they are doing it for some other reason, either for themselves, for their mother, <laughs> for their wife, kids, whatever. You know that motive is that they are doing that uh, in relationship to um, to someone else and not God. You know, God, God wants us to do all good uh, for others and, and to serve him uh, with faith in our hearts. That, and that's where the that's where the difference is when it comes to what we as 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 uh, people see other people doing as good works. And those good works, according to what we are understanding here um, and as as we understand throughout uh, Paul's writing is that. And it has nothing to do with the justification part of our relationship. Absolutely. With God. You know, it harkens back to this idea that the rules don't change. God both saves, mm-hmm. but then God also effects in us through his Holy Spirit um, good works. And God, we know from the scriptures that God works good for those who love him. Well, how does he do that? Well, sometimes he does that through even unbelievers. So when we see unbelievers out there doing these amazing, great works, um, nothing wrong with thanking them for doing good jobs, but reality is that God himself is working through them to serve his creation. And so they don't get to take credit for their good mm-hmm. works, for their salvation, really, any more than we get to take credit for ours. But we should be doing good works certainly mm-hmm. because our neighbor needs them. You know, there was about 15 years ago a campaign, I think it's one of these like Freedom From Religion Foundation kind of groups, but this was over in the UK, and it was around Christmas time, and, or maybe Easter, or maybe both, but they had a campaign, and there were, there were billboards and buses and everything, and their, their slogan was, good without God. And the whole pitch is that you can be good without God. 
you know, and it's in counter to this Christian idea that only Christians do good works, which you were clear isn't true. Now, in terms of how God receives them, right, there's certainly no advantage to doing a good work just because you want to be seen by it or you're doing it outside of faith. But, you know, it's easy to prove that there are non-Christians that do altruistic good things in the world. So they have this campaign, Good Without God. They're trying to basically recruit more atheists, which I think is kind of amusing. And then the reality, though, is that Christians have never taught that people who aren't Christians can't do good works. The teaching is much more nuanced than that, just as you said, that they do good, but that good, you know, is even itself, our good works need to be forgiven. And it's when we're drenched in the forgiveness of Christ that our good works uh, have any benefit to us at all. But yeah, I think that's really interesting because Paul is challenging these ideas of the day that by completing these law statutes, by by being a Jew, that somehow you are, you know, you got a leg up at the very least on all of these Gentiles. But he says, no, no one is righteous, not one. Um, and, and, and we see, we see Paul's Old Testament scholarship come in here too. And, and he's doing this very intentionally. He knows he has a Jewish audience in front of him, and he knows that they know some of the words that he's about to speak. In other words, it's almost like he's saying, here, let me, let me prove to you what I'm talking about from the absolute truth that we receive from God. And here it is. And then he just goes, you know, Psalm, quote from Psalm 14 and 53, from Psalm 5, from Psalm 10, from Proverbs, from Psalm 36. All of a sudden, bam, 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 bam. What's one right after the other? He pulls all of this together to show the picture of who we are now. And it's just, it's, it's outstanding how he takes uh, these verses and pulls them together to paint a picture of who we all are, whether, you know, regardless if you're a Greek or a Jew, we are all, this is how we look in the eyes of God. So it's just, it's wonderful to see how he, how he does this. And of course, he starts off with, with the statement that, that nobody's righteous, not one. And to even go as far as to say and pull from the psalm that says, no one seeks God, all turn all have turned away and become worthless and he just, it gets worse as you go down through this i don't know about you but as a pastor you know sometimes i will um i kind of skip over <laughs> the part about the open grave and the venom of because i'm i'm thinking i don't want to lose i don't want to lose the attention of what the point is and the point is that we are sinners and we are worthless i think i think that says it all um because I honestly feel that people still look at the rest of this and go, what? I'm nothing mm -hmm. like that. You know, my throat is in an open grave. I don't smoke. And I, you know, who knows where people's minds oh, will run right. off to. So, so it's just, but, you know, he really doesn't hold any punches well, here. A couple of things that you, you know? brought out are really striking to me. One of the things that you said is that these are words that a lot of them, because of the audience, would have known. And so we know that Paul is writing this. He's not in their presence saying these things. But I imagine that if he were there and he was or orating these things, that they would start to sort of mumble them under their lips because these are these are phrases from the Psalms that they would have said in worship or maybe had heard their parents say. But what's great about it is it reminds me of 
we Lutherans in our general confession at the beginning of our worship. You know, we're poor, miserable sinners. As soon as you say the word poor, miserable sinners, or the phrase rather, Lutherans are going to know what you're talking about. And I had a, a very faithful uh, man, but he was, a, he was a Baptist, so he wasn't really familiar with the, the Lutheran liturgy. And we were talking about this, and he's just like, you know, he says, we believe that we're sinners too, but we just don't dwell on it like you Lutherans do. <laughs> and I get his point, but the reality is that that's the basis for how we can appreciate the gospel, right? That recognition that all have turned aside. No one seeks for God. And that message itself is really pertinent, especially to my own upbringing, because br being brought up in a faith tradition that says one must search for Christ, give your heart to Christ, make a decision for Christ in order to be saved. And those things are really important to see the Bible say something like, no one's looking for God. These Jews would have thought, well, no, I'm, I'm looking for God. I want, I'm looking to do the right things. You know, our Baptist friends say, well, I, hey, I sought out God and found him. I found Jesus. Lutherans will say, hey, you know, I, I look for God. I've sent my kids to confirmation. And then you're right to then read this and know that it applies not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, also to the Lutherans, also to the Baptists, and to say all have turned aside. Together they become worthless. Yeah, that's their throats an open grave, et cetera, et cetera. It's tough. It's tough. But that's law. The law always accuses. The law always leaves us in a position where we cannot even conceive of how we might be able to save ourselves. But the law is really important. Getting down to verse 19, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Are the Jews the only ones under the law or is it everybody? Break that down for us, Pastor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think he's making it very clear. You know, the whole world. He doesn't. He doesn't hold back there either. It's the whole world is accountable to God. It's not just uh, the Jewish people, because now uh, Paul is trying to help them to see that this this church, the the, the new chosen people of God, are, it does not just in, include the the Jewish folks, but also everyone. You know, the entire world uh, has been. When Christ went to that cross and there died there, he died for everyone. He wants them to know that everyone has sinned and everyone has had their sins paid for uh, through the work of Christ. So he, he's, you, you can see he's already trying to paint this picture of the truth of the reality of the relationship uh, with one another. You know, another thing I wanted to bring up as you were talking there is that you know, you said the one gentleman uh, from another denominational background said to you, wow, you Lutherans talk about sin a lot. You know, so it's like, you know, we live in this tension and and we really, in our hearts and minds, we live in it whether we, we think we do or not, uh, between um, our sinful nature, always at battle with our spirit, with what we really want to do and be for God and for Christ Jesus. That tension's there every day. That tension is there with law and gospel living. I mean, you know, we always have the law of God that's always haunting us, always, you know, coming after us and showing us how bad we are. And then we have the, the gospel that, that wants to soothe us and bring us mercy and grace. 
Um, I'm going to share a Jeez. story here real quick. Uh, um, but it was a, it. I went to one of these Newsboys cons, con, uh, concerts way back. It was up in Fargo, and I'd ne- I I think I maybe have gone to a handful of Christian rock concerts in my lifetime, and uh, we were all there. You know, we're we're you know he he has the whole crowd pumped up. The, the lead singer. I couldn't tell you who these guys' names are. I don't know who they are, but you know he's pumping up the whole crowd, and we're all singing these these happy songs and, uh, uh, you know, rejoicing in the grace and the mercy of God and Christ and all that. And, you know, it's a, it's just a wonderful experience, absolutely wonderful. And all of a sudden, all the lights go down, and he has this long stage that goes all the way out to the middle of the crowd. And this guy is walking down that stage. He goes, you know, it's wonderful that we're able to be here today to celebrate all that God, God has done for us in Christ Jesus. He says, but but the reality of life and living each day isn't always a, a rock concert for us, is it? And he starts talking about uh, how we struggle with sin. And before you know it, he went to his knees and uh, started talking about, I said, I'm going to share something very personally with you. And he talked to the band about it and something that had happened earlier that day that uh, he was needing forgiveness for and talked with the uh, you know talked with the group about it right there on the spot uh, I'm sure a lot of that was drama but at the same time what he taught us as he talked about forgiveness and what that means and and what that really means as far as what Christ has done for us um, it was powerful I mean he was it, it was a, it was a pretty decent law and gospel sermon that this young man preached that day uh, there in the middle of the crowd. And uh, that, because that tension's always there. And, and I was surprised that we were going to have that tension full blast uh, that that night when we saw this concert. I was not expecting that. And I wasn't expecting uh, how he was going to connect that, that, you know, even when things are not well and we know that we have fallen short and we know that we have sinned against God, God is still there to, uh, to offer his grace and his mercy. Absolutely. I just... So, I mean, that's what this is all about. This is, there is a tension, and, and Paul is, is making this tension right now because we know where he's going. We do, with you know, there, and that tension and that, that idea that, yes, we're sinners, um, do we dwell on it? Well, I think that's an uncharacteristic. Uh, I don't think it's a fair uh, caricature of Lutherans, but it is true that we focus on our sins. And the reason I don't think it's necessarily that fair, though, is because I've been in congregations, not Lutheran ones, where part of the tradition would be that if you were struggling, if you were struggling with a particular sin, you did just what that uh, the newsboy guy did. You would come to the altar, though, at your congregation, and you'd be open about it. And people would come, and they'd put their hands on you. They'd pray for you. And it was done in such a way that you recognized that the community, the faith community that God had brought you into, part of that is so that you can be open about your struggles and then be encouraged and admonished if necessary by your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, you try to do that in a Midwestern Lutheran congregation, you probably wouldn't get very far. And it's not because, of course, we uh, are any less concerned about our brothers and sisters, but just because that sort of open act isn't in our tradition, whether it be through just being a Midwesterner or whether it be through, you know, German Stoicism. But regardless, that's the reason why. God brings us into a community so that we can rely on one another. And I would be nice, though, 
if we as Christians, especially Lutheran Christians, would be a little less, you know, maybe holding our cards to the chest, you know, maybe a little less that way, be a little more open about our struggles. It's one thing to stand up in front of the congregation and recite, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. But it's yet even another thing to stand up in front of your brothers and sisters or even the world and say, church is a place where I come not because I'm perfect, but because I genuinely need what God offers me here and because I struggle with sin. And that's the message the world wants to hear from us. Will they use it against us? Of course they will. But there will be some who hear that and say, you know what? They aren't hypocrites. They're there because they genuinely need what God offers there. And you know what? I need that too. Because everyone, regardless of how, what kind of facade we put on for the world, we all deep down know that we're not righteous. We know that we don't seek God. We know that our throats are open graves, even when we're trying to do our best. But yeah, so we haven't, we haven't got into the next verses because that's going to be next time. But give us a hint, if you don't mind, Pastor, what is coming up? What is coming up? How we're, let's not leave our listeners on this deep law. Let's be good. Let's be good. <laughs> let's give them some gospel. You have, we have just a couple more minutes here. I'm going to give them all to you for the benefit of sharing the gospel with the people who are listening. Oh, much appreciated. So, so you don't want to end the sermon here, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> We're always told don't ever end the sermon on the law because you know you've you've left the people down in the grave. You need to Absolutely. you need to resurrect them <laughs> and get them out of there. So, and and that's exactly what Paul is doing. I mean, if you were to look at all, at all of chapter three of Romans, um, you know, we he would get an A in our homiletics class in our in our and how to preach sermon classes at the seminary, you know, because, you know, you got to start with the law and then really come come away and, and really hit them with the gospel, you know, to, to, to lift them back up. So, I mean, this is probably the most perfect, if you if you looked at chapter three as a sermon, this would be like the most uh, perfect uh, law gospel sermon, because the law is what Paul is hitting them with all the way through these verses that we went through today here, through these 20 verses. And he wants them to to be able to understand at the t at the end of this that that yeah this that that includes me yeah I I I I get this because this is me and um, little surprise that it's for everybody but but I'm getting this now I think I'm getting this and now you know he he talked about how you know how we don't have righteousness really at all and now he's going to talk about this righteousness that comes from God. And he's going to talk about this grace and this faith and uh, what Christ Jesus has now done for us. And, uh, and he's even going to even talk a little bit more about the, the, the whole idea of circumcision again, right at the very close of that. But uh, really trying to put some conclusions on things that he had set up here in the front part of this uh, chapter. He's now pulling all the way uh, to, toward this gospel. And it's going to be full blast. Whoever you got... Uh, uh, you know, for the next uh, part of this chapter uh, is very blessed because this is this is truly very close to all of our hearts, I'm sure. Well, we do. We actually have the Reverend Scott McDonald from Meriden, Connecticut, and he's going to be on tomorrow, which is Tuesday, the 16th. And he is going to be live. We're going to be live. So uh, hopefully if you're interested, you can call in and help us explore the gospel together. But as for today, I am so grateful 
for our guest, Curtis Dieterding, uh, the pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you, Pastor. It's it's always a joy. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you've been listening to Thy Strong Word on KFUO Worldwide. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and I'm excited to continue this study tomorrow, and I hope you'll join us. Until then, God's peace and blessings be upon you today and every day. God bless.